And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that couple shouting, it's Dainer and Jay. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast, Growlin. Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Jay, we were practicing our slow starts. We were trying to be artistic, <laughs> right? We're, try- we're trying to – art imitates life, right? So, the, you know, Joe Burrow waits until drive three to get it going. The Bengals – Slow start to their season. The Bengals slow starts to their games. We're starting a little late on the YouTube show, but thanks to everybody that has been in there. Always good to have everybody on YouTube. And of course, those of you that are listening, traditionally, the old school, right, can we call old school podcast listening, you know, traditional old school? Can we do that? I, yeah, I get old-ish school. Older. I mean, older, older, yeah. Old us. Uh, but it's good to be here. Uh, we're everyone, we're all, everyone's going to hug this one out, right? We're all going to kind of <laughs> come in. Let's be vulnerable together. And uh, everybody's going to talk this out and come off the ledge, restart after the Bengals 0 and 2. We've got a lot of talking through this to do. Um, <laughs> it's already started on YouTube. I'm down <laughs> bad. Yeah, I know. I know. The fan base is in a bad place already. This is uh, high expectations and low performance for the first two weeks are, are tough. On the emotions of of the Bengals fan base, but we're going to try to talk through it here today. We got a bunch of stuff to get to. Um, we're going to focus on the offense because I think we understand the defense has been pretty good against some not so good quarterbacks thus far, and I think I just summed that up. Jay, they need more yeah. turnovers, they need more sacks, um, but for the most part, the defense been pretty good. The offense yeah. is in such a complicated place right now there's just a lot of really breaking down that we need to try to do we talked about at the end of the walkout um there's just there's a lot there's a lot to sift through what's happening they're trying to figure out yeah they're in right at the forefront is is getting things started to start the game i mean you just they they are a good team. They are a good offense. You but they don't have that margin of error to to start these games so slowly and and try to turn it on at the end. Um, we've seen Joe Burrow be capable of doing that, but you can't live that way. It can't be week in and week out. Every now and then, yeah, it makes makes for uh, an angsty slash exciting game. But, but when you're doing it over and over again, it's a problem. It's not sustainable. We heard multiple people say that yesterday, that it is not sustainable. And they've got to get it figured out quick. It's, yes, seasons are longer now, 17 games instead of 16. But, and, and yes, the entire division lost in week two. That, that little bit of a reprieve for the Bengals. But, there, it, it time gets short quickly, and they've got to get this figured out. Especially with two winnable games coming up in ten days. I mean, 
two winnable games in their rearview mirror as well. Um, so, you know, you're talking about the idea of starting Trubisky, Rush, Flacco, and going 0-3 is devastating to your chances mm-hmm. when you know what's in the future. Um, now, that doesn't – I, I want to – I think it's important to talk about the length of the season and, and where this offense was at at this point last year, where this offense was at at the midpoint last year. You know, they they had the you know the deep ball to chase was still surprising people, and they had that part going, but they were still figuring a lot of things out um, as the season went on, and they eventually did, and it was a big part of their run. But that doesn't mean there's still real concerns. I would say we're going to get to a bunch of stuff here. We've got we got to get to Mo. Um, we're going to get to a couple of your questions for those of you that are on YouTube. If you have some questions you want us to get to, we'll get to those later. Um, and also we'll recap the growler bet and, and a bunch of other stuff, but we're going to focus most on the offensive line. We want to bring you a lot of Brian Callahan from yesterday. It was a really good session. I felt like Jay's that Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan had clearly been talking a lot to each mm-hmm. other over the course uh, of yesterday. And so when it came time to talk to us, uh, they had a lot to say. There were just a lot of thoughts that had been running around as they try to figure out, here's the problem. How do you fix it? And people know I love that scene from Apollo 13 where they where they drop all the things down on the table and say, we got to take this. We got to take this to get it to fit into the hole for this using only that. And I feel like that's where the Bengals are kind of at right now. Like, this is what's happening. This is what they're doing to us. How do we fix it? With that, and and they're trying to figure that out right now as they go through things. We want to use them as the guide for us today. So we're going to kind of use a few snippets from Brian Callahan and also one from Zach Taylor about uh, offensive line, Joe Burrow's comfort, this Tampa 2 defense thing that's giving them fits, and slow starts as a whole as, as a way for us to kind of run through this conversation. So they're going to be our North Star a little bit. As we go through this, as far as news goes, there's not a whole lot. Uh, Drew Sample don't really have news on that. Uh, we, of course, will have our Thursday preview show uh, previewing the Jets. We'll get a lot more into the Jets there. CJ Uzama, Carl Lawson uh, come back. They've got a lot of money invested in their pass rush. So that'll be part of it. But, Jay, you'll talk with Zach Rosen- Rosenblatt, uh, who is our Jets writer there, um, to about everything going on with New York. So we've got that going on. We have a book. Jay, we have a book. Perfect Christmas gift for all of you out there that want to shop 96 days early. It just dropped today. We have a Joe Burrow book, a collection of all the stories anybody from The Athletic has ever written about Joe Burrow. Um, Whittled down, because that would be a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whittled yeah. down slightly uh, to, to the, some of the best ones over the course of going back to his LSU days uh, and all the way up through uh, the run of the Super Bowl. We did some extra stuff in there, too. So uh, we have a book. You can find it on Amazon. Just go to Amazon, Joe Burrow, The Athletic, and, and you'll see the book there, or it'll be in bookstores as well. So you check that out. Excited to announce that we have that book coming out. Dropped today. Um, so that's kind of our news section. Let's let's go into the, let's go into this offense, Jay. Um. Let's start here. Brian Callahan is our North Star. Uh, let's where you got to start with the offensive line, right? That's the conversation. Mm-hmm. So let's let's bring in Brian Callahan with a couple questions about uh, some of the issues with the offensive line. When you have a new line, mm-hmm. does it take a while to figure out what types of runs mm-hmm. they block well? Yes, it does. Um, you know, you start to see as they play together what what they do well. Um, 
you know, we got big, strong guys. They, they moved the point of attack a couple times really nicely in the, in the second half of that game. And, um, yeah, the answer to your question is, yeah, it does take a little bit of time. We're still getting to know what that group's going to look like for us this year. And uh, it's, you know, you don't have forever to figure it out, but uh, it does take some time. I guess this Just is kind a of a two-part question. Mm-hmm. As the offensive coordinator, is it increasingly more frustrating when you've got a offensive line essentially full of veterans when these like mental mistakes mm-hmm. happen and do you think like was this happening early on last year and we weren't paying attention to it as much like now do you feel like everything's just kind of under a magnifying glass because of the number of sacks last year yeah i think that's fair and then and you know until you until you don't give up six sacks and you win a game you're going to hear about it and um that's sort of the way it works and we we had you know we've had issues there's always things up front you're trying to correct and um you know but i think part of it is it's just it's it's guys that didn't work a lot together over camp kappa was hurt lc was hurt um and and you're trying to kind of get up to speed fast and even if we had preseason games or whatever those guys still wouldn't have played they were both hurt for a majority of the early part of camp and in the spring and um you're just trying to get up to speed as fast as you can and that's just that's that's the reality that's when that's free agency. These guys haven't been with us for four years. I mean, they're all they're all new players, and they're doing a really nice job. To be honest, there's there's parts that are really really good. Uh, there's parts that got to improve, but um, the communication part is is a huge part of playing offensive line in the NFL. Uh, if you don't have that group working together the way they're supposed to, um, you know, they all five have to be on the same page. So there's mistakes that happen at the receiver position. There's mistakes that happen at quarterback. There's mistakes that happen at running back that aren't as magnified. Um, as the mistakes that can happen up front, especially when everyone's looking at the offensive line all the time, and um, you're going to see the same mistakes across the league from everybody. It's not we're not uh, unique in that regard. There's things that happen all over the place that uh, are hard, and that's just what it is. But um, we got to do a better job of, of doing it, and there's really no way around it. I mean, it's got to be better and get better fast. So we've got Brian Callahan um, discussing. A number of issues, uh, Dan Horde and Kelsey Conway, uh, with those two questions in there to him. Um, you know, when we talk about what's happening, I think it, he touched on it a little bit there. I mean, there is a certainly a curve that I think you do have to take into account, and and it's it's hard because you want to see the new pieces work well right away, right? They were all good last mm. year. Why can't they all come? There's so much cohesion that needs to be built. And I do think that that is a part of this. I thought the run game aspect is really important here. Like that, you can't just put a bunch of guys in and be like, well, they should be able to run block this way. I mean, we've seen they have used many different run schemes over the tenure of Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan here. They've ripped it up midseason before. They have sent stuff, they have had games uh that have looked very different than other ones wide zone pin you know the pin pull stuff they've they've just they've tried to find what fits with the guys and i think they're learning because the run game sucks okay the run game sucks right now and it's killing them and so until they, until they can figure out okay it looks like this was working that's working you seeing a lot of different stuff even in game they're trying different things you know wide zone duo the 
pinpo- they're, they're trying different stuff. I think they're just trying to find something that they can get a handle on what can be their identity as a run-blocking offensive line. To me, that's almost the biggest concern because that's what's putting in way too many bad spots. Yeah, and you see it. Um, they are new. LC is not new to Frank Collins. And, and you look at the way he is he has played so far and and you look at the P, his PFF grade he was we had a 95 run blocking grade frank knows what lc can do he's still trying to figure out these other guys volson's a rookie kappa and Karras are new here and three of their four longest runs this year are joe burrow scrambles that mm-hmm. goes back to what you said this run game sucks and you the track record with this o line the track record with joe mixon you 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 can't you can't just dismiss it and, and and just assume it's going to be better, but you 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 do have to have faith that it's going to get better. Frank Frank Pollock has a track record in this league. It's so much. A, it, it sounds like excuse making that they, they they didn't have time to play together, and it's not just the preseason games. It's what he mentioned with with Kappa being out in OTAs and and LC having the back issue and, and missing a lot. It's it takes time to get these guys up to speed. You go out and sign a free agent quarterback. You go out and sign a free agent wide receiver, corner, whatever it is. Those guys, it's much easier for them to, to step in and kind of hit the ground running. Even if you just get one new offensive lineman, it's easier to plug him in and, and he kind of adjusts to the to the established group quicker. When you have all those new pieces and, and something as dependent on chemistry and communication as the offensive line is, it's going to take some time. And, you know, they, they, they pull one of these two out and, and the discussion's a little different right now. They're 0 2. It, it, it's understandable that the, the angst that this has created. And they, again, it's something that they, they know they have to get figured out and have to get figured out fast. But to just throw your hands up and say, this is the same line as last year and it's going to look like this all year. I, I don't think that's right. I do have faith that, that they're going to get this turned around. I do too. Uh, you know, I don't, I think they, I think they figure it out. I mean, they've every year, I feel like they've had very long stretches, even when the team wasn't great, of of quality running game. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of been a thing. And and Pollock traditionally has had offensive lines that are pretty good against running now. In pass protection, they have not mm-hmm. uh, been in in his history. I think that there's always a concern there. But I, I do think they get that part figured out. There are a lot of new pieces, and they are trying to figure out what they do best as a group together and and the runs that they can make work. I do have faith in that, but for right now, it's hurting them. You know, that that lack of working together is, is, is hurting them. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On an individual basis, I mean, Lel Collins has not been very good. I mean, they admitted, basically everyone said, look, the, the one error that you saw that everyone circulated yesterday uh, of Micah Parsons on a free runner is basically just, look, you just can't have that is an air that you absolutely can't have that kills you. That should be simple stuff for Collins where the the tight end vacates the area, tells him I'm leaving. So, you know, you don't have help on the outside and Collins just it didn't register and he blocked down inside and left Parsons free on a third and four on an early drive. Like when you're having slow starts, when you're not sustained, it's hard sustaining drives. You're getting too much pressure. All three of those, check, 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 every single box that screws you and can help cost you the game. And who knows what happens if that drive continues on a, you know, if you have any kind of time, anything but Micah Parsons on a free runner. I mean, those are just the type of errors you just can't have. And then losing one-on-one against Micah Parsons, like I'll, you know, you got to, you got to be, they got to, he's got to be better in general uh, in in his one-on-one situations and things like that in pass protection. But I'll allow it a little bit. The stuff like just totally mental error. I mean, you are not a rookie. This ain't Cordell Volson, who, by the way, played really well yesterday. Um, mm. And so that's that's of the frustrating aspect is that Jonah, who hasn't had the mental errors, but has gotten beat a lot one-on-one. And then Collins, who's had a mix of both, have been the bigger problems. Whereas your interior, you know, with a rookie and two new guys, have has been solid enough. I mean, they haven't been great, but certainly solid enough. Um, that's the concerning part. It shouldn't be that way. If Collins just stands in front of Micah Parsons on that play and gets run over, I think Joe Burrow still completes that pass. Chase broke out. It was it was there to be had. It was just Parsons was on him immediately without even getting touched. So you're right. It's that 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 can't happen. And I I there was another there was two other plays where Parsons came free, and one was a screen where they let him come free on purpose, but. It it those are the kind of things that we're talking about. With, with it, it is communication, and it should be better than that in week two uh, with veterans. And um, so I, I get the concern there. Where why is this still an issue this far into the the season? You, it, we'll see. It could have a lot to do. Obviously, lot going through Collins' mind going back to Dallas. The play we're talking about there that was early in the game. Um, he hadn't settled in, not an excuse, but you just, you, 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 you can't help but wonder how does a veteran in the league 
not when the when the tight end tells him he's vacating the area, how does he not do that? How do you put three guys on the tackle and let the edge rusher come free? It's a good question. Um, but it's it's you know part of the mess that they have right now. Um the other the, you know, another part of this is you you've got a and this is gonna connect with the Burrow conversation, but you know, you've got a line that actually in kept clean grade or excuse me in the uh pressure kept clean rank i mean burrow's 17 of 33 right in the middle of the pack as far as percentage of his drops that are clean um and that was a big part of the conversation to fixing the o-line was just give him a higher percentage of clean pockets um the problem is the pressure to sack percentage is what it has been with burrow and that's 38 percent first of 33 when when pressure happens he gets sacked a lot and that's led to the questions about burrow's comfort right um so let's bring in brian callahan on that on joe burrow's comfort in the pocket which is under a lot of questions is he is he seeing ghosts right here's brian callahan he's looked fine to me i think there's been there's been moments where he's tried to like you said we talked about before extending some plays I'm trying to find some some areas to win, and um, you know the rush plan that the Cowboys had. They they a lot of stunts, a lot of twists. So the he oftentimes looked good. He'd make the first guy, he'd move off the first problem, and then here comes the second one on the loop or on the stunt, and and that's usually was the second guy that got him. Um, and so he looked comfortable moving. He, he was seeing it well, uh, but when you end up in those spots where now it's the you make a one guy missing and here comes a second one. It, they, that gets a little hard, um, but it's a again a good they had a good plan. They were a hard rush to to pick up. So um, I think he looks fine. I don't think he feels uncomfortable in any any sense. He's never expressed any of that. Um, you know, I just like to see the like to see a few balls come out sooner every now and again and and, and help him protect himself occasionally too. Just not take those hits. So um, and then obviously when he's scrambling, he just knows that everyone's gonna take a shot at him, so protect yourself when you're running, too. Playing for Joe is, is on some of the sacks. Is he trying to let plays develop and maybe not taking a quick check down? Is that some of it, too, that he's just, he's just missing because, again, he's trying to let a play develop? Yeah, that's part of who he is to some degree, uh, where he's trying to make something happen down the field. Was that necessarily the case in all the, the, the parts of the game? No. Um, but he's, you know, when you're, when you're playing teams that are hell-bent on keeping everything in front of them, you're trying to get routes to develop down the field some, and it takes time, and, and we weren't really afforded much of that uh, at certain points in the game, partially because we were in second and 10-plus far too often, and it's an easy pass rush down for the defense. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's times when he's looking to make a play uh, that, that he feels like he might be able to make, and uh, he made a few with his feet that were really pretty impressive. Um, you know, ran for that early first down. That was a good one. Uh, ran on a second and 16 to get us into a third and five. So uh, scrambled out of the pocket on a third down late in the game on that last drive for to make a really great throw to T on the sideline for a first uh, and in the red zone as well when he scrambled through the T. So that's sort of the give and take you play with him. And, and I think that he's going to make a lot more plays than he isn't. Uh, but I do think that there's definitely points in the game when we, we could have taken a quicker throw to save himself a hit uh, or potentially a sack as well. So uh, those are all the things that, that he looks at every week to see where he can be better at. This has kind of been the common thread, Jay, is is that it's not necessarily 
comfort back there. It's, you know, trying to figure out what he's seeing and not making quick enough decisions to just avoid a few of these hits, you know, because it is a fine line of, look, we don't probably don't talk enough when we talk about the hits and the pressures and how comfortable is he, how much do we talk about how important those runs he's made have been, how important the off-script plays have been to them having successful drives, the extensions of plays that he's had. I mean, you know, you hear uh, Brian rip off a bunch of them there, including touchdowns and first downs. And it's like, okay, so if you're Joe Burrow, at what point are you, you know, thinking, look how important these off-script extended plays have been and also thinking, oh, yeah, but I'm supposed to get rid of the ball quickly and try to avoid taking some of these hits. It's just not sustainable over the long haul, but in the part of who his game is, it just, it just creates a really, I think, a really tough environment that I think he's struggling with right now. Yeah, and I, and I think both of those, that they, they, those questions, it, it leads to what Brian said, that yes, I, I think he is more comfortable than people think in the pocket. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be holding the ball so long. And, and, and he, he it, the, the seeing ghost thing is where you just, you just chuck it immediately because you're, you're worried that the pressure is going to get to you kind of like the Micah Parsons free runner thing. And that, that he has that ability to, to, shuffle in the pocket and, and buy time and make plays. That's such a big part of his game. And he's still doing that sometimes to his own detriment because he is taking hits and sacks because of that. But because he's willing to do that, that that does lead you to believe that he feels fairly comfortable and normal back there. Um, that he it's just the issue is they they can't stretch the field. They can't get anything deep. And he's been so good at, at recognizing what's taken away and what is open and it's it just it all goes back kind of to what we talked about earlier, where you know his it's not just the O line gelling together; it's the O line gelling with Joe. And uh, we'll see. We'll, I I don't think that you're going to see it look like this as the season goes. But nobody wants to see 13 sacks in the in the first two games and and how whatever the pressures are up to now 40 something um it's it's a lot to overcome but i i don't i don't think he's rattled and i i don't think he's seeing ghost i i think he's trying to to make plays in the scope of the way that he always has and and he did that that third down that he was talking about where he hit T Higgins and he 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 not just bought time he went to his left, threw across his body. That was on that was the one that extended. It was third and ten. And that ends up being the 19 play, 83 yard drive that takes almost nine minutes off the clock. Um that it that kind of felt like a a turning point there. And yep, they didn't finish the game. They lost. The defense didn't get the stop. But that was a huge drive and, and he made a number of plays like that on that drive. Yeah, you know, the thing is, and PFF will point this out. And, and you know his grade when kept clean. You know we're seeing a high, a, a okay average percentage if kept clean pockets. Is he's seventeenth out of thirty three? Well, he was notably first last year, ninety five. I mean, elite, elite level in a clean pocket last year. That's that's notable. Uh, under pressure, he's twenty fifth of thirty three. Last year he was fifth. You know, overall in these situations he's he's not getting the same 
level of production and playmaking. Now, it's early. That was over the course of a long season where he did struggle early in the year last year, mm-hmm. too. And we'll talk about slow starts uh, uh, in the big picture and in the micro level here in a minute. But um, I think that's part of it is you're, he's he's still trying to figure it out. You know, I mean, he admits all the time last year, the end of the year, he's a much better player because he's able to bank more stuff. He's able to figure out more of what teams are trying to do and know. And and he's that's the key to him being a great quarterback is having seen so much of what people are trying to do with him. He knows the answers. I don't think he knows the answers right now to the to all the disguises in ways that teams are trying to get to the Tampa two stuff or or the deep shell, all that stuff, you know, that is they're in you know, they're trying to use to confuse him and take advantage of the Bengals' poor pass protection on top of it. I think that combination of things has changed the way that they produce. I, I think that's something that he feels like once he gets a a quicker feel for the answers and what the answers are as the season goes on, um, he'll be able to, you know, have quicker starts, have more production in general. Um, all right, let's bring in our good friend and yours, Mo Egger of ESPN 1530. What's up? How we doing, guys? Doing hey, good. Bro. Hey, no, no, no content for you to, uh, to talk about <laughs> yesterday. We'll talk about there's a yes. Uh, Sunday's game was a lot of things. A talk show host dream would be one of them. Going to get a lot of mileage out of uh, out of Sunday. I you know I thought we were going to get a lot of mileage out of the Pittsburgh game, and we did. But uh, you add the the growing concern to just the coaching decisions to the inevitable wheel of blame that we have to spin whenever a team is struggling the way the Bengals are, and uh, it adds up to a lot of content. Yes. Uh, Mo's tweets, Jay. Do we have the tweet tracker? Yes, we do. Oh, yes. We've got the tweet tracker. What are we up to? 117 last week. So Mm. falling down a little bit. It went, what, 138, 128, 117, but... You're decreasing. You're, you're like the Bengals. I'm going in the in the wrong direction. <laughs> However, don't we have an addition? Don't we have an addition to the tweet tracker, Jay? We do. We do. We have your most your most, most liked liked and oh. the most talked about tweet. We're both the same. Don't oh. throw the ball short of the sticks on third and three with the game hanging in the balance. Pretty self-explanatory now, is it? Can anybody <laughs> disagree with that? Huh? Third no. and three? Let's throw the ball a yard with a dude draped all over the guy we're throwing to. Genius. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, they, they We got a deep explanation of that play yesterday about you know the headset going out for the oh, first time on. all game. I'm, no, hold on. I'm not going. Time he, can out. I finish? Without the headset. What are we doing? The headset's can I, can out. I, can, I, can, I, can I finish? <laughs> can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> I'm I'm ticking through the explanation here. I'm not doing any justice. The headset going out, so they're yelling, trying to get the play in. But the play they were based on trying to get a quick snap uh, because Diggs was still communicating because it was a pick against him, and they did. And he turns and he's so far above where the pick is supposed to be that it doesn't even he gets past it. So that he basically beats the pick by I don't know. Essentially, it sounded like almost by not. Be, by being in the wrong spot, being in the yeah. wrong spot, uh, because he was trying to communicate, and that's why he's able to run free and drive on the uh, on the throw underneath. It does not dispute your point that throwing short of the sticks on third and three is not the most advisable move in that situation. The headsets are out. Call a timeout. They yeah, had two. Some. Yeah, yeah, two that he took on the plane with him. I mean, 
Uh, all right, that stuff happens. Um, you know, they got through it in the uh, divisional round game against Tennessee last year, I guess. But I mean, th- th- this isn't you know nine minutes to go in the second quarter. The game is is hanging in the balance. You you might not run another offensive play, which they didn't. If you don't convert there, I mean, even if the headsets are working, let's call a timeout to make sure. Do we really want to run the play? Which we we need a guy to be in position to pick him so we can throw the ball short of the. What are we doing? Call a timeout. I'm I'm frustrated. You can tell. I can tell. Uh, let's let's spin the wheel of blame for you then, Mo. Where when you spin the wheel of blame, where does it land most often? At a, or is there a, what's the pie look like for you of percentage divvying up? I don't love spinning the wheel of blame, quite frankly, because yeah. it, it just. You know, if I talk for 15 minutes about how, boy, Joe's got to play better, then invariably that turns into, oh, you're giving the offensive line a pass? Or what about the co- – I don't I don't love that game, quite frankly. Um, I, I've had the same thought at different points over the last two weeks, and that's that the Bengals just haven't looked prepared, and that falls on coaching. Now, this doesn't mean fire Zach Taylor. It, it doesn't mean Zach – is solely at uh is solely to be blamed for what's happened so far this year but that's the the first thought that has come into my mind watching in the first half each of the last two games is god these guys look unprepared and then you, if you look at the the trend and we talked about this on the air their last 12 regular season and postseason games in seven of them in the first half they've dug two score deficits or more now to their credit in some of those games they came back and won most notably both games against Kansas City. But if you go back to the Chargers game last year, fell behind 24-zip. San Francisco fell behind 17-3. Even in games in which they won uh, and didn't fall behind against Denver last year, six points at the half. Um, they got off to a slow start, obviously, in the AFC Championship game. They fell behind 13-3 against the Rams. Uh, they have dug themselves two touchdown deficits in each of the first two weeks here. So there's, you know, we, we talked about how, well, a lot of what you saw in week one is the outlier. What's not the outlier is this team falls behind and offensively really fails to get going. Even if you look back at the very beginning of last season, offensively, boy, they would spin their tires for 28 first half minutes and then hell throw it deep to Jamar Chase. They can't even get that going right now. And so to me, the common denominator with that is a question about how prepared they are and that falls on coaching. When you see Micah Parsons running free to your quarterback, uh, are there assignment errors that take place during a game? Sure. But how can one happen with that player on the field? And again, the guys themselves have to communicate. Joe's got to get the guys in the right spots. The dudes on the offensive line have to account for number 11. But so I, I still though start with just the, the feeling that I've had often early in games that, they just don't look as prepared as the other team. Is that merely a preseason thing? No. Is that a week-to-week thing? Is that not being completely prepared for the opponent you're going to play? I've heard a lot over the last two days about the vaunted Tampa cover two, a defense that was brought into vogue 30 years ago, and it's like advanced math for this team. We can't figure out Tampa two. Uh, I don't understand that. So I'm getting heated again. I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> okay. Let it out. I, I we're start, here. To, we're here to embrace all the emotions, Mo. I, I start with, and then if you go back to just some of the second guessing of Zach Taylor last week, and then some of the stuff this week, it's it's a lot of what you're seeing is not a very strong indictment for this staff, which I don't think it's credited enough 
for the playoff run last year. I've been banging the drum for you know nine months now about how boy you got to give that credit uh, co- that coaching staff credit for scheming around that awful offensive line last year and and at least being functional offensively. So I, I don't. It's not a, a matter of taking gratuitous shots at the coaching staff because they're zero and two. But if you look at the long term trend and you examine what we've watched these first two games it's hard to not talk about coaching. And then if you want to say, well, they weren't ready to go because of how they handled the preseason, well, that falls in the lap of the coaching staff as well. All right, let's just take a quick break. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A lot of it comes down to to being prepared versus being ill prepared. You can be prepared, but prepared the wrong way. And, and they talk about this all mm-hmm. the time, where you see so many unscouted looks early in the season. It's kind of like when you're you're in school and you, you you're studying the night before a test, and you think this is what's going to be covered, and it you you study hard, and it the test goes the other way, and mm-hmm. it, they they go over other things, and you're screwed. Whereas if you just didn't study at all. Maybe maybe you would have done better. Maybe some of the the stuff that was actually on the test. Would Jay have... got through Ohio University as well, <laughs> well that plan and <laughs> Fairfield High School. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, you know, it, it it brings up the good question of do do they rip up the script? Do they just say let's wing it, let's go by feel, let's let's trust Joe Burrow to to diagnose what he's seeing? And and Brian Callahan did say that's that has been discussed. I don't know. We, Will we see that? Is that an answer to to doing away with the early script and just go out there and and play by feel and play by gut? It sounded to me like he was suggesting they have tried that before and they've done about everything to try to find yeah. new ways to get in and just to see to see what works. So uh, it doesn't mean it, it, you can't try it again for sure. I, mm-hmm. I, the thing the thing about this and this is hard, Mo, because you know I. And what I hate about so much of the environment, especially the one that's out there now with a fan base that understandably has very high expectations for this team and should, um, that maybe we're unrealistic because the euphoria of the Super Bowl is still very fresh on everyone's mind. And Mm -hmm. when a team has struggles as teams do, and that doesn't, you know, I feel like everyone wants to scream and yell and fire everyone. It's hard to have nuance conversation about the ability for a team to be allowed to improve, to see what their struggles are and learn what your team is in the first four weeks without people saying, you're being soft on them. They've got to be better and, <laughs> and, and, and fire everyone. And this is crap, right? Like there's a weird mix where there's no winning. And, and I feel like I, I want to be able to have a conversation about how, you know, criticizing rightfully, and but that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be fired. Or that there isn't still solutions that they can find and get everything back on the right track within time. I, I just there should be a, an ability to have a common ground and balance there. But I don't think people, I, I don't know, at least not from the ones that I hear from, are very willing to engage in those right now. They're just you know there's just a lot of you know yelling about the coach. Sure, um, I'm. I'm not really interested in in faults. I'm more interested in how things get fixed. I mean, if you're 
going to yell and scream that Zach Taylor should get fired, you're screaming into the wilderness because that's not going to happen. So the question for me is for a team that does have a lot of talent for a team that does seem to be in a championship window, how does this get fixed? Um, now my colleague, Tony Pike has talked often about does Zach need to remove himself from the play calling? Does he need to take himself away from the offense in an effort to allow him to manage the game better and also make the offense run more efficiently? I think that's a fair question. I don't, have the answer to it, but I, I I would like to think that that's something that could be examined. Uh, I know you guys really close to it will say, well, that's just never going to happen. Well, okay. But I mean, again, um, th- this offense, it's w- with the exception of a couple of games late last season, boy, it's been a while since they've really reached their potential, at least if you look at their, their weaponry. And so are there more efficient ways of doing things that you could apply now and get things fixed? and get to a point where six, seven weeks from now, this team is where we as fans want it to be. I'm for exploring that. Do you overhaul your offensive identity and say, we're going to go back to being a a really heavy running team because we can't solve the the Tampa two. Um, Do you put more on Joe Burrow's plate? Um, Are there offensive line fixes? I kind of doubt it because if there were dudes like Akeem Adeniji would be playing right now. I I like those converse. I'm not, it's why I don't love spinning the wheel of blame because I, I just, I don't believe when an NFL team loses a couple of games consecutively, that that's any one person's fault, whether it's the quarterback or a guy on defense or, or even a head coach. So it's, it's why I don't love that. But you know, again, if you're asking me to the, the area of the team that I've been most frustrated with has been the coaching because I, I assign the preparation to the coaching staff. But you know, again, when you do that, it's, well, you're, you're being soft on Joe Burrow. Joe hasn't played well. You're being soft on this offensive line. Uh, Lyle Collins <laughs> didn't look good on on uh, on Sunday. Um, I'm more interested in how that stuff gets fixed and how it gets fixed quickly and how a really troubling trend gets reversed because this team has been walking a tightrope. And look, boy, it was a lot of fun when you're coming back from down 18 points against the Chiefs. That was awesome. They deserve a lot of credit for that. That's That can't be how you live. Um, it, it can't be a consistent, you know, let's screw around offensively for two ha- for two quarters and then uh, figure things out in the second half. That's that's not going to work if the idea is for this team to contend for a championship. You know, you, you, you said uh, giving up the play calling is never going to happen. I, I wouldn't go there. If, I, I think it's a it's the last resort, but I don't think it would be totally out of the question if this continues to go this way. I mean, there's. Brian and Zach get along so well, and and doing that would would I, I think it it could save the season, and it could mm-hmm. really help Brian be in position to become a head coach. Um, so I, I wouldn't rule that completely out, but at this point, I yes, it's still too early, and Zach's been asked about it in the past, and he, he's he he said he's not he has not given it any consideration, and it it is it's a step backward to to do that. We've seen other head coaches do it, but I, I wouldn't rule it completely out. But it's things are going to have to get a lot uglier before it would happen. Sure, yeah. and 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 what made me sorry, Paul, it's your podcast. I'm interrupting you. What what sorry, made no, me uh, what you know there's. There's how the offense is functioning, but there's also, you know, if you go back to the first game, a handful of these instances instances where there was total chaos unfolding with, you know, the punt and the kicking team is out there and the punting units out there and the offense is still out there. And then, you know, not reviewing the call where Chase uh, evidently scored a touchdown and they didn't throw a, a challenge flag. And so, you know, Zach is handling all that, but he's also calling the next play. 
Um, and so I, I can't help but wonder if you say, all right, Zach, now you're just, you're going to handle the management of personnel and the game and when we're going to throw the challenge flag, when we're going to go for it, when we're not going to go for it, could both areas improve? And maybe the answer is no, but I mean, whenever any organization is struggling to me, all possible solutions should be on the table, including the one we're talking about here. I think there's, I think there's a, you know, you're right on Jay. I think that if you get to mid season and this team is still scuffling offensively and they're three and five or something, you know, whatever it is and hit the buy, uh, they've, that's where I think you would see something like that happen and feel like they could still save the season. It is a last resort, but it's something that they have both spoken openly about. Look, we can't be stubborn about this and and have been noted to not be that. I mean, that's one thing you hear from everybody that works underneath them is how open they are to anybody's ideas, to any new ideas, to listening to possible solutions, no matter where they come from, who they come from or what they end up looking like, if they can really help get wins. I think they'd be open to that down the line. I just they don't I don't think that is viewed as an answer. I think I don't think that is viewed as something that's going to change much in their eyes right now. And I think they feel like there's a lot of other things, a lot of other things they can tick through that can get the thing straightened out and fixed before you end up at well, maybe maybe the play calling needs to be freed up. You know, I, 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 that's, that's the, well, from what I know of this staff, I, I think that's the realistic end game here. If that's what people are thinking should happen or, or looking to see happen. I, you know, I, that, that's how I think it ends. What I'm willing to offer up is, uh, you know, I work for a media company, radio company, um, to see if one of our engineers could be the headset guy. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? When you go into a visiting arena, and I, this is, I, I'm just, I'm just curious. This is like the old New England conspiracy theory, where it's amazing how often the headsets would go out. They would right. say when you go and play at the Patriots, and it happens to be third and three in one of the biggest plays of the game, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a headset goes out. I, I'm, I am not saying. I am saying. Sure, and so, <laughs> or I could be the guy that goes headsets out. In yeah. the radio game, we stop when the headsets go out. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to stop the game. Timeout. Headsets are out. Let's let's talk in person. Yeah. Headsets no. went out, so we threw it short of the stick. What are we doing? Well, you know, I think you're thinking you're going to need those timeouts. They got the play in. The The guy is, is not paying attention. That is the guy you're trying to take advantage of on the play. And then you hike it, and then it all falls apart. And you look stupid. I yes. Think- then you, you agree with the end part. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's quickly snap through the bets. Uh, as we, um, Jay, do you have a recap of last week? How'd we do? Uh, yeah, I did terrible. I I had the Bengals winning by shutout for 1100 plus 1100. That obviously didn't happen. I had Mahomes throwing over one half interception that didn't happen. So I took a minus 20 last week. Paul won his $15 bet. Bengals Cowboys under 43 and a half. Lost a $5 bet on Seattle plus nine and a half. And Mo just continues to pass. He's Mo has three pending future bets on the table <laughs> right now. So his are easy to grade. Okay. Uh, let's quickly snap through these. Uh, Mo, what do you got? 
All right. Well, I have Bengals to win the AFC North at plus three fifty. Uh, the the odds. <laughs> Another. Have great- yeah, I mean, look, I, Future. I, I, I no, I'm not. Yeah. It's not the bet. It's that we're never going to get to judge you. <laughs> yeah, no, you will this week. Hang on. So I'm going to go uh, ten bucks Bengals to win the AFC North. Okay. Uh, I mean, it doesn't feel good right now, but I mean, not you know, a couple of weeks ago it was at plus one eighty. Now you can find it and sort of all over the place, but right now you can find it at plus three fifty. So I'm going to do that. I um, I'm going to be very simple here. I think four and a half might be a bit steep. This team's not going to go 0 and 3. They're not going to lose in consecutive years to the Jets against backup quarterbacks. Look, the Cleveland Browns could not have been more complicit in their own demise on Sunday. They needed a thousand things to go wrong, uh, much of which was their doing, but they needed a thousand things to go wrong to become the first team in over 2,200 games to blow a 13 or more point lead in the last two minutes. The Jets were this close to being 0 and 2. They were mostly non competitive week one. Uh, I think they have a lot of really good young players. I can't wait to watch Sauce Gardner and Jamar Chase go at each other, assuming they're matched up with each other. I, I hope to God it's not, oh my God, the Jets are playing Tampa too and we can't throw it Sauce. <laughs> um, I'll go very simple here, okay? Things aren't going well. Let's simplify it. Bengals money line in Jersey. There you go. I like that. Finally, we get to judge you. And uh, I, I don't know if, we'll, if if you lose that bet. I don't know that we'll even get to it. Next week, I have a feeling we might not even discuss the bets. Jay, what do you got? Uh, I've got Jets. I'm going twelve dollars on Jets plus four and a half. I I do. I think the Bengals win this game and get right. But shoo, I'm not willing to lay more than a field goal. Um, I I, I think it could be a tight game. Um, So I'm going that way. And then if somebody out there can tell me where to find player props, I love those. I can never find them. I can find the Thursday night game ones because it's two days away. So that's what I'm going to go with here. You but need early has, player props, early in the week. Yeah, early player, player, player props. props. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I love this guy anyhow. I think he's a, a future star and uh, Steelers tight end, Friermuth, uh over under 36 and a half receiving yards um, against that Steelers or against that Browns pass rush. I think there's going to be a lot of checkdowns to the tight end. So I'm taking him over 36 and a half Thursday night uh, for eight. Okay, I'm doing a straight straight ten ten split uh, of our completely fictional, not actually gambling money in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> uh, Bills Dolphins over fifty one and a half. Uh, give me that straight up, and then uh, Bengals Jets under forty five and a half. I think continued struggles, and I do think the Bengals defense um, does not get flaccoed and is able to hold them in check enough to get under that 45 and a half. But I think, you know, Jets, I think that Jets pass rush is still going to give them trouble and, and uh, they're mm-hmm. going to need their defense to win them a game. And, uh, you know, some turnovers would help with that too. But I think Flacco's just the right answer uh, to getting some interceptions. Finally, bring extra headsets to New Jersey. Just, <laughs> just do that. Bring extra headsets to the Meadowlands. All right, Mo, I appreciate it. I will see you uh, today, 3 to 4, at the Moorline Logger House on ESPN 1530. We'll uh, we'll do it again. I look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mo. All right, we've got Mo Egger there diving into so much. There's a lot. Look, there's just a lot right now. There's just a lot on everyone's plate. Like, you ever, you know, you reach that point, Jay, where you're having a day and it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's when the like stuff that's going to happen after work is starting to 
come down on you and the stuff that's piling up in work you don't feel like you're going to get done and then it all just feels like god there's just a lot right now like that's yeah. where i feel like Bengals fans are at uh there's just there's just a lot to digest and a lot to deal with emotionally mentally you know there's, there's just a lot to try to take in that's why i kind of made the joke where I, I feel like that's where brian callahan and zach taylor were yesterday they're watching all the tape. They're looking at what's going on. There's just a lot right now to try to take in, like why things are are not working. You know, in the per- you never thought you'd have to talk about Joe Burrow, but you're talking about Joe Burrow, and then you're worrying about the Tampa two. <laughs> you heard Mo reference it. This, you know, we're we're we've heard a lot about this. Yeah, that these this is a, the new invoke. This is not new um, at all, but the usage of it, the disguise uh of it is becoming a challenge to because it's it's designed to keep you from throwing the deep ball and keep Joe Burrow from throwing the deep ball down the sideline um which was you know such a weapon obviously for them last year and so we kind of talked into what is it about this defense what is happening explain why the come up of this uh, and the variations and disguise of it are giving so much trouble. Here was a couple of questions, uh, and I didn't go to – there was another, a third one that went way deeper in the weeds of it. I'm not trying to do that to you guys, so this is kind of the simpler version. Just know that he got even more in-depth after this. But here's Brian Callahan talking about a little bit about this, the defenses that teams are throwing at him a lot and, and why it's working. The one, the one common thing you seem to be facing, whether it's – I don't know, whatever the hell you want to call it, Tampa 2, mm-hmm. cover 2, too high. Uh, that seems to be the commonality. How many snaps of man have you seen, and uh, how, do you, how do you attack these, these, these zones? Um, you know, we've seen, we've seen a good mix. You know, team, teams did a good job. They don't sit in one coverage uh, for an entire game. You know, I thought they did a really nice job mixing up. I think uh, that uh, I got a ton of respect for Dan Quinn. I got a ton of respect for that system. They got good players. They did a really nice job um, schematically. They doubled Jamar and played man everywhere else. I mean, Jamar, Jamar got doubled probably, I don't know, six or seven times in critical downs. Um, and so, yeah, we've seen man. Uh, we've seen single high. We've seen cover two. We've seen blitz. Um, we've, we've seen a mix of everything. Um, but we've, we've seen a probably more... Tampa, for lack of a better term, more two safety defense um, than I've seen in probably ten years in two games. So it's just what it is. You know, these things come back around, and it's a little bit of a, a cycle that happens. And uh, it was a Seattle cover three for a long time there that everybody's running, and now it's uh, these versions of, of all the different variations of, of Tampa and middle field open, and um, you know, it's just the way it goes. But do you, do you think you guys are just getting a heavy dose because of what you did the man last year? That's probably part of it. You know, and there, there's teams that are. You know, pretty determined to not let Jamar beat him uh, in a in a moment that Jamar should get the ball. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the the two the two point play and the lat and the touchdown are both pretty great examples. He was doubled on both plays. They dropped eight defenders. There was people everywhere. It's a three man rush, and that's why Joe scrambled and made a great throw to T. And then TB got one on one, one of the few one on ones he got all game, and he he won it. Uh, about as good as you can win a one-on-one for the two-point conversion. So uh, we've seen a mix, and then we've seen more probably early in that game because we were way behind the sticks too. You know, we were at second and 15, 16 a couple times early, and, and that's a really easy down to, to try to keep everything in front. So, um, and, and a check down doesn't really hurt you because now you're still going to be third and 10. And that's 
kind of how defenses play. We put ourselves in those spots. That's that's part of Brian Callahan talking about Tampa two, um, and and why that has happened. The Jamar double thing is really interesting um, because you have obviously teams are going to start doing that, but I think you are seeing them daring Boyd and Higgins to be who they look to. We talked about this last week. You, you do you worry about Joe looking too much for Jamar Chase and and because in not taking advantage of the matchups are and teams are clearly saying we're going to dare you to go to Higgins and Boyd more often and what did we see in the first half you know you're getting a lot of doubles on Jamar but what did you see zero targets for Higgins and Boyd in the first half how much of looking too much for Chase and seeing double teams was a part of the slow start you know that's that's stuff that they're seeing you you know that they've got there's got to be a little bit more willingness and understanding of okay then let this be a Boyd game or a Higgins game um it while they're trying to find ways to exploit this it, it you want to exploit it it goes back to what we said earlier the run game is crap you get that run game going and that's going to pull people out of that the the too high the tampa two whatever you want to call it i mean that's that's the light box that we talked about so much last year when the, they've got the they don't walk that safety down in the box they've got two over the top and that's where they need to to make their hay and and really get mixing going and and kind of dictate make the defense play what, what you want them to play instead of what they want to play um it, it all works together that that was surprising i i'm surprised we didn't see more hayden hurst because of the the way that they were playing chase doubling him so much and, and not going to to boyd and higgins all the more passes to mixing out of the backfield there's ways that they can get around this that you you can't just get in the what we saw so much you know a decade or so ago where it was just feed AJ Green over and over again um it, it's another part of of Joe learning to to process this and and finding the open guy and not being so reliant on Jamar Chase and it's again it's going to sound like uh excuse making but he he's had Joe Burrow's had 28 starts in a regular career He's at the end of year two right now. He's not even finished with year two right now. So it, there are, as good as he is, as talented as he is, there are still nuances and recognition and, and, and things that he's learning. And it's it's growing pains. I mean, the, plain and simple, that's what it is. I don't think anyone's overly concerned that this is what it's going to look like forever. But that's if that's what they're throwing at you, the, these two high looks – run the ball, hit the tight end up the seam, find ways to get him out of that and don't just try to try to beat it with your best player. The problem becomes is that you know the the disguising that teams are making it so yep. complicated to foresee, you know, you're making these calls where you have an option to go to a Tampa beater and you're looking at it and you're calling the Burrow's up there like, do I go to the Tampa beater? Do I not? I don't know. They're showing me man. I'm seeing man and and this and that or something else. And then as he's dropping back, they shift Bail. into a some sort of Tampa formation with different. And they're like, that's really the difference is it's meant to disguise so that you so that you're you're not calling the right play for that or you're not you're not seeing it until after when everyone's sprinting in different directions. And and that's becoming a part of the problem where it's kind of like you're throwing darts pre-snap hoping that they end up in a Tampa. Or, I mean, if they don't and you're, and you're having to figure that out live, 
and it's causing all kinds of problems, you know, and, and, and that's why teams are moving to it. That's why it's a current trend. And the Bengals were part of the reason that trend started. So you don't, you better believe that it's going to be a heavy focus when teams face them. Last year, they were destroying man early in the season because Jamar Chase and the over the top and the underneath and, the, and all that stuff that was happening when they were racking up points. Teams never played it against them after that. The rest of the season, they spent all year in zone, and it took the Bengals offense a little bit of time to get a little bit more comfortable beating zone. And then as they got going, they did. They started getting a lot more efficient, beating the zones that teams were thrown at them because they had seen it all. They knew how to get to it, and Burrow was learning even more so how to beat it. That was part of their evolution last year. There's no reason to believe this can't be the same. I mean, where you learn what teams are trying to do to you, you have all week to go through it. You can continue to work it, work it, work it, get your reps, bank the reps, and go out there and be better at understanding these disguises, understanding. There's only so many ways teams can do this, right? And they're learning all of them here now through a couple of weeks. And they are. You know, maybe we look back at the end of the season and say, yeah, the Bengals offensive line did have a bunch of new pieces that were struggling. Yeah, Burrow was learning uh, a new way that teams are going to attack them. The Bengals in general were looking new ways that the teams were going to uh, attack them. And Dallas and Pittsburgh didn't end up being two of the best defenses in the NFL. Are, is any of that out of reach, you know, mm -mm. Um, to say that that can be an explanation for the struggles? And do you you don't even feel this bad if you just kick one or two chip shots to beat Pittsburgh because it's one and one and it's exactly like last year where you had a couple of games where the offense was sluggish but they found a way to win one and they had another one where it was just ugly and then they came back and they beat Pittsburgh in week three and everybody felt so much better as they started to figure things out and then the Jacksonville you can't zero me and they damn near lost to Jacksonville before <laughs> Urban Meyer ever even went to that damn bar in Columbus so la I mean last year all of this stuff was happening, but the expectations weren't so high. Yeah. And that's understandable because they do have a year with this group together. But I'm just saying there's a lot of ways that you can see similarities and understand that it's part of the process of learning the ways that they're going to be attacked. What sucks is you didn't find a way to win that opener where you should have. And really, you didn't find a way to win on Sunday when you should have against some backup quarterbacks. And it puts everybody in a very nervous spot. So let's wrap this part up here. Let's talk about the slow starts. Jay, you have a story up on this today with specifically about Joe Burrow and his slow starts, one that we talked about on the podcast last week, um, but kind of diving a little bit further into it. But here I had a question for Zach Taylor uh, in yesterday's press conference about that specifically. And how do you address that? Oh, rec rectifying slow starts. How do you do that other than just say it? I mean, is there something you could do or a way you can approach a game plan to try to fix that and how, how do you approach that? Well, it's not, not being stuck in your ways, you know, and, and again, it's a small sample size right now. It's two games. So that's that's the part that we make sure we portray to our team. This is a very small sample size. We haven't won, so this is, this is going to be what's portrayed and you're going to have to deal with until we change it. Um, at the same time, you do have to be flexible in your approach and maybe just because we've done something a certain way for a long time doesn't mean that you can't look at small ways during the week to tweak it. Um, that was a conversation Brian and I were having 20 minutes ago. You know, let's just be open-minded as the week goes and and find ways to, to help ourselves, even if it's just, uh, um, it, it, it's, it's all psychological. You know, you just never know. But again, I, I think our team is in a really good place. Um, we got really good leadership and we have really good talent. And... 
begins in the season, we're not where we want to be, but we're able to put these behind us and refocus on the Jets and get back on track. And just, just one good performance really puts you back on track and finds you that rhythm and that confidence that, that you know you're capable of. Jay, you wrote in more in depth about the winds. You dove further into this. What, any Anything that was a kind of a main takeaway that kind of opened your eyes? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is it's not a small sample size. Mo alluded to it. It's yep. it's six of the last eight games they've fallen behind by double digits in the first half. That's it's they've got to figure out a way to to get started sooner. And you know, I I asked Zach, is it is that do they just have to live with this so, somewhat because nobody's great at everything, and Joe Burrow is so good at at figuring things out on the fly and. and and being able to to close games um, in, in these fourth quarter comebacks and all that, and and maybe it's just who he's gonna be for his career as a slow starter. And they they said obviously he said he, they don't want to live with that. They are gonna do what they can to try to to spark it and, and get him started faster. But it's it this is three years now. I mean, this is. You, you know, we broke it down on the last pod. You look at his splits from drives one and two, and then to three and four, five and six, seven, eight. They all look like Joe Burrow incredible numbers, except one and two. And it's just there's this feeling out process, and um, that's what they've got to figure out a way. Is it's 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 not that it's a physical thing where he just can't get going right away. It's more about the adjustments and and how good they are at adjustments and how great they are. In the third quarter, that was the big knock on Marvin all those years is can't make halftime adjustments and, and they're blowing leads. And this is now kind of flipped the opposite way where this team is really, really good. One of the best in the league as far as outscoring opponents in the third quarter. If they can just figure out a way to to be a little more productive, you don't have to go down and score a touchdown on every opening drive, but one touchdown pass in in 28 opening drives six interceptions um only uh, you know i i think it was what 10 scores period in those 28 first and second drives that's that's it's hard to come back in this league and it's hard almost impossible to come back double digits they they've got to figure out a way to to not fall behind that badly and as he said it's it's all they're having the conversations it's all options on the table they're trying to figure it out but that that still kind of sits out there that that maybe this is who joe burrow is going to be for his career and he's going to be great in the fourth quarter you're just going to have to live with a slow first quarter is he going to be a slow starter and a guy that takes more sacks than you're comfortable with that can and how much can you win with those two facts you know, if, yeah. if if this is kind of the trend, I mean, maybe. I mean, they did, right? Last I mean, year. but it, it, it's it's not like it's that far away. But I I do think those are you're so used to feeling like this guy's Superman, and mm-hmm. that he doesn't have faults and he can overcome anything. It, this may just be part of the pros and cons of Joe Burrow, and you'll take him ten times out of you know ten. And you'll still pay him all the money in that in inside of Paycor, but you can't, you know, you you got to understand that maybe that's just part of who he is a little bit. I mean, the, taking too many sacks because he's trying to make plays, you know, a thirty eight percent pressure to sack rate, which is astronomical, um, is gonna be kind of be part of who he was is, you know, and taking time to get going might be part of that. Maybe they can fix that. 
you know, maybe maybe they do find ways, and it's worth watching uh, as they go forward. But you know, and Brian Callahan even said yesterday, you know, they, the first two drives, yeah, they got points out of out of the one, the field goal, but it was clunky. It wasn't crisp. They got bailed out by the the roughing, what, the roughing call, or whatever. Roughness, yeah. They should have been a punt. The second one was bad too. I mean, it's it, it was more of the same. It was it was certainly more the same as as it was against Pittsburgh and as it has been for a while. I mean, that, it, there's no doubt they have to. F- it's. I, I don't think it's a small sample size either. I'm with you, Jay. I, I think this mm-hmm. goes this goes way back. Yeah, I mean, from the start of last year, they're they're 27th in the league in scoring differential in the first quarter. They're yes. second second in the third quarter. I mean, that's just uh, yeah. remarkable. Um, the, the other part of what Zach was saying here was, you know, feeling like his team's in a good place. I, I, I would agree with that. Like, you know, there was no players only meeting. There was no, you know, t- taking it the wrong way. I, I liked DJ reader had a tweet that was, you know, anybody can be at the helm when the sea's calm, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Mixon tweeting about, you know, just just don't forget about where you were when we come up and fix it and there was a bit of a resilience and don't worry about that like i think a confidence in themselves element um and they do have good leadership and they did res- they do respond well to adversity in general in game and in the big picture they they showed that last year they've showed that this year as they've gone through um so i, I i'm I don't think that you're going to get any, you know, things spiral where they don't know how to fix it. There was a real sense when you, when you talk to guys of, you know, I, this, this is going to be all right. Like I, we think we have it under control here and and we're in a good place despite the record and despite some of the issues. And a, I do think there's a benefit of the doubt involved in that due to what you saw with them and responding to adversity and the way they played well, you know, play in general with their back against the wall a little bit. And and B, I do think they have the talent. And I do think it's crazy to think that this team would just continue to struggle with all these good players and smart quarterback and smart coordinators, uh, you know, as Lou Rumo, what he was able to do defensively, what they've done thus far. I, I tend if I'm if I'm you know having to make a call I tend to think the same thing that that they'll get it straightened out for the most part um, and this won't spiral into something like an O and two can to a lot of teams right Jay right uh, well first of all when he says they're in a good spot it, obviously he's not saying O and two is a good spot no, what he's saying no, no, they no, are no, constructed well no that's those were his exact words yeah. um, and that. It is the the intent of that is he likes the way they are constructed, the way they are built, and you know you mentioned the zero and two starts. They this has happened. There there have been they are the eleventh team in Super Bowl history to to go to a Super Bowl and then follow it up the following year at zero and eleven or I'm sorry zero eleven zero and two, and um it's it's not worked out well. For a lot of those teams, six of them went on and just missed the playoffs altogether. And the four of them made the playoffs, but as a wild card, and only one team won the division. That was the 93 Cowboys, and they went on and won the Super Bowl. And the reason they went 0-2 that year after going to the Super Bowl the year before is because Emmitt Smith held out 
and uh, Emmett Smith didn't play the first two games and they lost. And as soon as he came back, they were world beaters. Um, this has, it hasn't happened to an AFC team since the 1999 Broncos. They followed up a, a Super Bowl appearance by going 0 and 4. Uh, the 02 Rams followed up a Super Bowl appearance by going 0 and 5. The, the most recent team to do it was the Seahawks in 15. They go 0 and 2. They finish 10 and 6, make a wild card, advance in the playoffs. It can be done. Um, but it, it is rare. You're, you're talking about what, 112 Super Bowl teams. Only 11 of them have started 0 and 2 the, the, the following year. Um, it is a hill to climb, but again, it's you, you look at the way this team is constructed. This is not a, a Super Bowl team that lost a bunch of key pieces because they they were built to to go all in in one year. It's a it's a, a coaching staff with continuity. You can argue whether that's a good thing or bad, but it's it. You got a lot of leaders. You got a lot of talent on this team. I think if there's any team that is is built to overcome this zero and two start, it's these guys. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um and but the other thing was, I mean, there was a real sense of urgency on Sunday night in the post game locker room and then mm-hmm. again on Monday. I mean, there was a sense I, I didn't it, it wasn't a sense of calm confidence, like, oh yeah, we'll get it. It was we better freaking go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's it is time. You know, I, I sort of joked tweeting but you know if this is the super bowl hangover it's it's advil and coffee time and get going mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it's no more it's sitting there be like oh what time is it right no it's time get your coffee get out of bed and go do work and i think i that is the sense that i got and again this is this is just con- the number of conversations we've been able to have over the last couple of days um but i i you know for whatever that's worth. I think that's something to feel okay about. There's a lot of things to not feel okay about. That's one I think to feel okay about is is where they are at um, with with handling this and moving forward. All right. Let's lighten up a little bit, Jay. Huh? We've, <laughs> everybody get off the couch. You know, there's a lot. It's just a lot. It's just a lot right now. That's all there is to it. Um, Arby's. Uh, any related Bengals insight extra stories? Um, Jay, what do you got? So I was, it was Friday last week and, and usually Fridays are a, a very slow day in the Bengals locker room. And it was, it, that was the case. They, they have their, when the locker room opens after practice, they're, they're free to go. And there were, there were a few guys hanging around and there was this incredibly intense ping pong battle going on that I could not take my eyes off of mainly because there was nobody else to talk to. Um, but it it was Tyler Boyd and Jermaine Pratt against, uh, linebacker Keandre Jones and and Akeem Davis Gaither and Pratt and Boyd were destroying them and talking all this crap. And it it was, it was kind of amusing And, and the linebackers were just taking it. Um, it turned and it, it sounded like kids on a playground where they were arguing over the score and screaming. And <laughs> the, the, finally the linebackers won and Boyd just threw his paddle down and walked away. They played three or four games. As long as, as long as Boyd and Pratt were winning, they were willing to keep playing. As soon as the linebackers came back and won a game, Boyd was done. He took his ball and went home. Um, and it just, I just, you, 
you see what these guys are as competitors on the field. It was it was really kind of to fun to watch something as simple as a ping pong game and watch how competitive and how serious they take it. And there may have been some money on the line, um, but it's I, I, give me that. Give me a give me a ping pong match as opposed to a, a Friday afternoon walkthrough. It's it's a far more interesting <laughs> dynamic. Look, as someone who has definitely thrown his hat a long distance post elimination <laughs> from the Dana Cornhole Classic, uh, I Thanks feel the competitiveness. Yeah, look, look, I, that's an, an unnecessary detail here, but uh, I I totally understand just the competitiveness in the moment, no matter what the game gets to. I feel you. I feel you on that one. I I, I agree. There's been a lot of that. The I think the the people that you know, like when you play Madden or whatever, you know your rating level, so you can try mm-hmm. to play people of equal level. I think in the Bengals locker room, people figured out where exactly who their competitor levels are, and uh, you've gotten a lot of these very intense, very intense games. Uh, all right, mine. You know, it can't can't go to Dallas without talking about the meal. And you know, I don't like to beat people up with like our road <laughs> meals, but I got to shout out PJ Combs, Bengals PR man, who did uh, track down this place, Terry Black's Barbecue. It was so good, I wanted to buy a shirt. <laughs> like it, it was, it was, it was. When you think of authentic slang in the barbecue. In, in in Texas, like this is exactly what you think of. It was kind of hot in there. It was big. It was a big place. Going through the counters, you know, where it's just just nothing but meat as far as the eye can see. Like ridiculous sides. I had mac and cheese, which is had like the perfect that like the the crust on top. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the crumbles. Just done perfectly. A great cream of corn. The cornbread. I mean brisket sandwich just that thick like t- all good tasty brisket it just smelled like barbecue in the place i mean it was awesome it, it I, I am i am, if you're if anybody's in dallas and has a chance to go to terry black's highly recommend and when we we rolled in there we were about 10 deep and we were in the first uber showed up and we get in we get in line and I swear, within thirty seconds, there was fifty people behind us in line. Like oh. it was, it was like a, a, a one of those tour buses let out or something. I mean, there was this place was slamming, but they never were like bogged down by it. Shout out Terry Blacks. I'm actually I didn't buy the shirt, but I because I didn't really totally like all, but I wanted to. I was going through the merch like I'm buying. <laughs> Right. So uh, shout out to Terry Black's Barbecue and all of us that were on the Bengals media crew had a I think it was unanimous. That place was a huge, huge win um, as we uh, as we hung out down in the the Dallas area on on Saturday night. So shout out to them. Uh, Let's go listener Q&A real quick before we get out of here. We've got a, a lot of people using exclamation points. In the comments section on the YouTube show, I appreciate you. Uh, or a lot of question marks. Um, let's go with. Um, sorry, I'm trying. I had it here and I lost it. Um, <laughs> and now there's a lot of stuff that I'm trying to find. Um, let's go with. Where's Dax Hill? Mike Mankey. Where's Dax Hill? Well, he was on the sideline. Sands two snaps. Um, I I think this, you know, Jay. This goes back to what we said, where you he's not going to be a Cooper Rush weapon. Um, 
but it wasn't it wasn't like the Cowboys weren't throwing on them, but they were still very much focused on just trying to establish the run game. Um, and Trey Flowers is still in the tight end cover role. There was a lot of Trey Flowers mm-hmm. on Dalton Schultz that you saw, and when that happens, that's you know kind of what Dax would be doing is the third hybrid safety corner type guy. So they're going to stick with flowers with a really high end sit tight end. Cause he did that well. And that ends up minimizing Dax even, even more. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a parallel to what we're talking about with the slow starts and the offense and everything where it's, it's still early. Let's wait and see the plan develop and, and see how things come together. And, but you do have to wonder in the back of your mind, I mean, was, was the Dax Hill pick primarily about uh, a Jesse Bates contingency? Um, I don't think that's the case yet, but man, I mean, I get him not having a big role, but six snaps in the opener and, and two on Sunday against the Cowboys. I mean, that's, that's back of the roster type of stuff. So we'll, we'll see once they start playing some more. I mean, Joe Flacco is third in the league in passing yards right now. That team is slinging the ball around primarily because they had to. They've been playing from behind. Um, but we'll we'll see if if Dax gets some more time on Sunday against the the, the Jets. I do think we are going to see him uh, more. But I I'm starting to have doubts about about how big that role is going to be, um, even as as we start seeing it increase. Um. I want to bring in another question here. Um, We've got, let's see, um, virtual hugs. I appreciate, I appreciate people sending the virtual hugs. It's very nice. Um, Shoot. I'm sorry. I am like struggling to find these questions. I thought I had, I think keep thinking I have them and I'm missing them here. Uh, Okay. Mark D. Is there any way to ask the coaches this week about the report from anonymous NFL position coach? which I love the idea of the anonymous NFL position coach saying Bengals snap counts cadence are stale and predictable, allowing opposing defensive line to fly off the ball. If there's one thing from last year, that was a weapon, an absolutely weapon for Joe Burrow. It was his cadence to the point that it was throwing off his own lineman too often, Mm -hmm. uh, his ability and him and Rogers and Mahomes were really amongst some of the best in the league at using it. Um, He's gotten he got Cordell Volson in the opener. Uh, he's gotten some of the new guys with it too. It has definitely take takes some getting used to when he does really start using. I, I I'm I'm gonna trump anonymous NFL position coach on that one, yep. just because I do think that's very much a strength of Burrow is using his cadence to keep other teams off balance and has drawn a ton of offside jumps that have led to a ton of free play opportunities over the course of last year. And he didn't suddenly forget how to do that. So I, I would, I would toss that one aside a little bit. And they were silent count in Dallas. So that just makes the Dallas game moot. And then the, the opener against Pittsburgh, like you said, it's the first game with a new line. You're, you're not going to mix it up. You're not going to go with a ton of hard counts. That's I, I do. I, I totally dismiss that one. I, I think that is a, a big strength of Joe Burrow's game. And I, I think you're going to see him continue to draw offsides as this O-line settles in and as they get some more home games. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody that has been watching and on YouTube, listening and dropping in questions. We always appreciate that. Great to have you all in here, even those of you that are, that are still working through it. I know. Everybody's kind of working through it in there. And if you got, if it's a comment section of our YouTube that helps you cope, that f- firing off some all caps and some exclamation points helps you feel better, 
And I'm all for it. You know, we're here to support you, whether it's in rage or in tears or in happiness. We're here. That's what we do. We're the the, the part therapy is it's 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 uh getting leaned on fairly heavy today, I think, for a lot of you guys. Uh growler bet recap. No winners. No winners. No winners. We were wondering when time of game of the first interception, and there were none. And we said if you guessed none, you had to guess the number of sacks given up by the Bengals. That number was six. And nobody uh was able to hit that. There were some zeros that were so close, but nobody able to hit the six uh on number of sacks given up. I think probably because you guys couldn't put yourself through the mental anguish <laughs> of actually saying, I think they're going to give up six sacks. Yet, here we are, 13 sacks into the season. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening and watching. If you did on YouTube, we appreciate having everybody here with us. Again, uh, uh, the Burrow book is out. So go check that out, uh, triumphbooks.com. You can go there and uh, you can <laughs> check it out. And uh, you can also... Check out uh, Jay's story on Slow Starts is up. We'll have a, a deeper look through some of these offensive issues here. Be up soon enough. Uh, Thursday, we'll be back as we preview the Jets. Zach Rosenblatt of the Jet that covers the Jets for us is going to be here. Very excited uh, to welcome him in. We've got some other special stuff planned in the near future. I'm very excited about. So thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.